Welcome to Soul Conversations. We are three Korean adoptees that talk about anything and everything through the adoptee lens. I'm Benny. I'm Shanae. And I'm Kara. And this is Season 3, Episode 7. So I am very excited today to invite a guest on who has a great name. I have invited my friend Kara Rickmers onto the show here today. Hi, Kara. Say hi to everyone. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me today. I'm yeah. really excited to yeah, be on the podcast with you all. Yes. And Kara is joining us live from Korea, the motherland. So we are definitely dealing with very different time zones right now. She is um, up and at it, ready, getting ready for work. And I think the three of us are hopefully done for work for the day. I know. I don't know about you, Benny. That's the one I'm <laughs> over here like, mm, I hope he's done. And uh, Sinead's work is never done. Uh, that, <laughs> that, that is for sure. But um, just to jump in, Kara, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show because I won't, I won't steal her thunder too much, but I met Kara through Instagram, like many of us have. We connected through Instagram, and then we actually found out we were in the same town of Louisville, Kentucky, which for me growing up, like never having cats around me, it was like, it was like a super special moment to have somebody in Louisville, Kentucky that was a cad. And then I was doing like a nerd night chat on BTS, of course, of all things. And that's where we met in person for the first time. And then that was kind of it. And then we yeah. always stay connected on Instagram. And then she immediately moved to Korea. Um, so before we pick up of where you are right now in Korea, Kara, cause I definitely want to hear all about that. If there's, you know, if you want to just introduce yourself to our, our listeners a little bit more prior to you going to Korea and just give a little background, I think that'd be a great way to introduce yourself. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I think meeting, you were probably the first adoptee besides my brother. I have an older brother who's also adopted from Korea that I kind of ever met in Kentucky and it was pretty late in life. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, they do exist. <laughs> it's not just like a myth. But yeah, so I grew up about an hour and a half outside of Louisville. So in a small rural town called Harrodsburg, Kentucky. And we definitely had more cows than people. So I feel like a lot of adoptees can kind of relate to that background. But like I said, I, I have an older brother um, who's also adopted from Korea and then my parents. So small family. And yeah, growing up, I feel like it's similar. So predominantly white community. We had one school in our town. So yeah, there weren't a lot of, well, adoptees, but there weren't a lot of just Asians in general. So it's kind of like, yeah, you want to blend in as much as you can. My family didn't really expose my brother and I to a lot of Korean, I guess, culture growing up. So it wasn't really until I kind of sought it out for myself. And that was, I guess, after my freshman year of college. So that's kind of where my adoption journey and Korean identity journey kind of start, which is pretty late, I think. But I, I honestly had no interest in Korea or like my like being adopted or adoption community or anything. And then I knew I wanted to study abroad. And I didn't really know where, but my university, which is University of Louisville, had an exchange program with a university in Seoul. And so I thought, you know, why not just go to Korea for a month? It was just a summer program. I was like, that'll be plenty of time for me to just like eat some kimchi, see some sights, right. and just like be like, oh, that part is done. I've seen it, been there, done that. I can kind of just check that off and like move on with my life. And so I, I did the um, exchange program like the summer after my freshman year and, you know, as cliche as it might sound, the the whole month just changed my life. 
Um, and I like, um, after the month was over, I, I kind of went into this like manic mode of like, Oh, I need to like learn everything. I, I want to mm-hmm. go back as soon as I can. I ended up changing my major in college from at the time I was like accounting and finance. And I, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Good so, change anyway. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I would like to study, like do Korean studies, but uh, like U of L did not have that program. They barely had like an Asian studies program, I feel like. So I, I changed to anthropology just because I like um, culture and like people and all of learning about that. And and I did a, a minor in Asian studies. But yeah, throughout college, I think that's kind of where my like relationship with Korea started. Honestly, my relationship with adoption was kind of on the back burner still at the time. It was just me starting to learn about like Korean culture and language and all of that sort of part of me. And I kind of made it a goal of mine to move to Korea after graduating. And maybe a year or so after I did it, I moved to Korea. So uh, I kind of yeah ripped the bandaid off and I was like, nothing's really holding me back right now. At the time, I was kind of in between jobs. And I was like, I guess this is a sign to just uproot my life and move to the other side of the world. So, and (laughs) I love that. It was like leading up. Right. So I, I thought about it in college, but then when the time actually came, I was just like, Oh my God, what, what am I doing? (laughs) Sort of thing. Cause yeah, I, I came here alone. I didn't know anyone and it was the best decision, but also like, one of the hardest parts in my life, that kind of transition, which we can maybe talk about a little bit later. But um, yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. And a, a brief uh, summary of the last, what, 26 years or so. I'm I'm curious because I, I actually didn't, I growing up, I did not meet a lot of other CADs who had CAD siblings. A lot of times the other CADs I would meet, they had, their siblings were biological um, children. How does your brother interact with this stuff? Was it like, did he have interest as well? I'm always curious when I meet other cads with cad siblings. Yeah, growing up, like, my brother was also not really interested in, in Korean culture. We didn't talk about adoption in my family. We didn't really talk about Korea or anything. Like, I don't know if it's like my parents were uncomfortable or it's not like they said no we can't talk about it but no one just ever brought it up it was just kind of like okay we know this thing (laughs) it's not a secret obviously but it's like we're not going to talk about it Um, and even now that I've moved to Korea um, my brothers wanted to come visit but you know corona has happened so but I'm will be interested you know to see if like coming to Korea will have a big of an impact as it did on me or if he's just gonna be like oh yeah that was nice now back to like my life in America or whatever but I actually went back to the states this past what is it September and uh, met him he lives in DC right now and we went to (laughs) yeah we went to like a Korean restaurant and it was kind of interesting because he's still like, he didn't know a lot of the things and was struggling with like using the chopsticks. So yeah, it was, it's interesting to see kind of where we are in relation to that part of us. Well, Kara, uh, we're so happy that you decided to join us. Just curious, like the other Kara, myself and Shanae are all recording in a dark atmosphere and you're recording in front of a, a light window. Uh, what time is it there right now? Almost noon on Thursday, the 13th. So I'm coming to you from the future, everyone. <laughs> the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the future. Let's play um, some best. Let's, let's, uh, let's... <laughs> yeah, so I currently live in Seoul. If you're familiar with the city, I live in Hongdae, which is kind of the like um college fun like yeah. <laughs> area <laughs> not so much these days because of corona yeah but i moved to seoul 
right when kind of corona started unfortunately so before that i i lived about i guess depending where you were in the city but about an hour south in a city called yongin and i was teaching english at the time there but then i moved to seoul and i currently work for a non-profit ngo that works to help adoptees so i don't know if we want to talk about that more right now or yeah i'm anxious i'm like definitely so many questions but yeah i would love to hear just maybe like the boilerplate like spiel on like what goal is and then what you specifically do for the organization and then i'm also just like i'm gonna like hammer her with questions and just like what your interactions have been like working and talking with other adoptees, you know, kind of being on that side of the fence. Yeah. Yeah. So actually it's kind of like a, a funny ish story. So in, in college, when I was kind of delving into, you know, learning Korean and learning about the culture and things at the time I applied for a language scholarship um, to come to Korea to study Korean. And, you know, you have to write an essay as to, you know, what you want to do with your language skills after and blah, blah, blah. And I wrote about wanting to obviously move to Korea um, and then work for this organization called Goal or Global Overseas Adoptees Link. Um, And so I think that was like junior, maybe sophomore year in college. I did not get the scholarship. So um, but then, you know, what, five Six years later, I'm, I'm kind of doing what I um, wrote about. And the fact that I get to work for this organization, it's kind of, you know, what I was wanting for the past, you know, half a decade, I guess. So, um, yes, Goal or Global Overseas Adoptees Link. We were founded in 1998 um, by a group of adoptees who came to Korea for the first time. And they wanted to create an organization that could help others who were, you know, interested in in coming back. I think Korea at the time was seeing a lot of adoptees return to the motherland, right? Because I think, you know, peak adoption was around the 80s. And so, you know, 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, you're seeing a lot of adoptees who are, you know, in their 20s, um, getting to their 30s, coming to Korea. So, I think it's a really special organization that helps sustain the community here. We provide a core, I guess, service space. Uh, I guess the first would be, you know, birth family search. We offer services for adoptees with that. And I think the unique thing about us is, you know, we're located in, in Korea, in Seoul, and we're able to, you know, work directly with organizations, the government, the police, and all of that in regards to birth family search. And then we also help with, if you're interested in coming to Korea long term, we help with F4 visa support. If you're interested in, you know, obtaining, um, restoring your Korean citizenship, which adoptees are able to hold dual citizenship, which most Korean nationals can't even have dual, you know, they have to choose one. But goal was a part of making that happen. I think in 2011 is when that became available for adoptees. And so we also help with the paperwork and all of that. And then we offer, you know, language support. If if you're interested in learning Korean, um, we offer scholarships to study here in, in Korea. And then we recently have started kind of a one-on-one not really language exchange because it's like you're only speaking Korean, but I don't want to say it's tutoring because you're just kind of paired up with a native speaker, uh, which are our volunteers, and and you can practice, you know, speaking Korean in a in a comfortable environment, which is that sounds anything but comfortable to me. <laughs> no, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, no tutoring, no help, just somebody speaking Korean to you. <laughs> So that program is is geared towards those who are, you know, studying. It's kind of a supplement to your own study. So it's not for everyone, but uh, it's it's definitely good to get, you know, speaking practice. Myself included, speaking Korean is a struggle every day. <laughs> um, but I think it, it it's definitely important if you're at that level where you're wanting to, you know, speak more to have some kind of 
you know, comfortable partner and environment where you're not going to feel bad if you say the wrong thing or have the wrong pronunciation. But yeah, we also do like other just kind of programs throughout the year. But yeah, it's kind of the main services we offer right now. And then I've only really worked here during COVID times. So it kind of what we're able to offer is kind of shifted a little bit within the last couple of years, but I work with a really great team. So it was kind of like diving in headfirst with the adoptee community, because I guess outside of that initial meeting with you, Kara, at that, like, like, what was it? Nerd panel? I don't know what to call it. Yeah, the nerd night. (laughs) It was nerd night. Yeah, yeah. So even when I first got to Korea for that year and a half, I didn't really meet up with adoptees even then. Mm. It's kind of like, I don't know if I was scared or I just wasn't really that connected with being adopted and and that. So I really kind of just jumped in by working at Goal. And, you know, you get to meet so many people through this job and you know, help so many different cases and different adoptees and hear their stories. And it's a really interesting profession, I think. And I guess unique in the sense that I guess my full-time job is (laughs) like working with, working to help adoptees. (laughs) I love that. Is the whole staff there adoptees? Yeah, for the most part, we are like known for being the like only adoptee led, you know, nonprofit and NGO. And I think for the last, what, 1998, like 24 years, most of the staff has always been made up of all adoptees. And that's kind of one of the criteria to work for the organization. And we do have two Korean staff members, like our office manager who you know, he works a lot with getting, you know, sponsors through like Korean companies and organizations and, you know, keeping the office running and doing a lot of the Korean like back burner things that you don't really think about in regards to running a organization in Korea. And then we do have, I guess her main title is like translator and interpreter. She is like professionally trained and, you know, went to school for that. But she does so much more outside of, you know, those jobs. And then our secretary general, he is an adoptee from Norway, which was like. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Like. It's interesting. I don't know if it was my like American, like centric mind, but I'm like, oh, there's like adoptees in Europe. What? Yeah. So I've met, yeah, so many European adoptees and I'm just like you're from like the Faroe Islands or you're from like (laughs) Sweden or France or it's kind of crazy. And then we have another adoptee. He's the birth family search lead and he's actually from Wisconsin. So um, (laughs) yeah. Um, And then there's represent. (laughs) Represent. (laughs) Yeah. With the, Wisconsin cheese and uh, beer and <laughs> yes so, yeah we're a small team so <laughs> there's yeah currently five of us but yeah we do what we can to you know support help adoptees in Korea but also you know ones maybe wanting looking to come to Korea or or whatnot so yeah it's interesting that you bring up the point about sort of having the American centric adoptee filter, because I think it's something I know personally I fall into as well. Like I cognitively know that there are Korean adoptees in other countries and in other areas of the world, but generally, you know, I feel like every time I meet somebody or hear of someone, I'm like, Oh yeah, that, that happens. That exists. Have you found that the Korean adoptees in like Europe, for instance, or in other parts of the world have some of the same feelings or struggles that we do as CADs in the United States? Or do you feel like a lot of the imposter syndrome, microaggressions, marginalization that, you know, so many of us are kind of going through, is that very much like a specific American thing? Yeah, I mean, 
I feel like I guess a, a lot of my coworkers or stuff will talk about, you know, things we see on social media, specifically in like, you know, different Facebook groups that are out there. And I feel like a lot of the kind of anger or like when Asian hate and all of that was happening, I honestly didn't see a lot of, I guess, people speaking out from European countries. It, it is kind of like that kind of, I want to say loud American voice, but I don't know. I feel like American adoptees versus European or Australian or Canadian adoptees, it is kind of a, a little different, I would say. Like, I don't know if there's just because there's more American adoptees, just factually, right, that their voice is louder or if they're experiencing it more in America than in parts of Europe. But yeah, it's kind of hard for me to say. I feel like the European adoptees I meet, they don't really, uh, um, they're not really that vocal about, you know, that sort of thing. So maybe I have a filter through the ones that I've only met here. That's interesting. I never would have thought that Americans would be loud. (laughs) (laughs) No, not us. Yeah. Complaining? Never. (laughs) What is that? I have a question to pose to the group. When does everyone feel like they don't have imposter syndrome and why is it at the gym? Oh, stop. <laughs> I hate you. I was Speaking like, of Americanisms. <laughs> I think that's a great way to jump straight into the topic, Betty. And just for a quick step back, when we, um, when we reference imposter syndrome, this is Google. This is not any, uh, this is not like Webster or anything like this. Um, So I'll just read what first pops up. Imposter syndrome is loosely defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. And then there's another part that comes down here that says, to put it simply, imposter syndrome is experiencing the feeling of feeling like a phony. Um, So I hear you at the gym, Benny. I mean, like, I definitely feel like an imposter there. Uh, But I I would, would, because I'm curious, Kara, to hear about your your experience transitioning from America to Korea, being a Korean American, being an American in Korea. And I would love to hear that. And I'm sure imposter syndrome will pop up in that, but I would just love to hear like, what was that like for you moving and being alone and trying to find your identity and your footing in the motherland, which is rightfully ours. Right. But that's at least for my short answer. I'm sure I'll chime in later. But that was like one of the biggest feelings of imposter syndrome was like stepping off the plane in Korea as an adult for the first time. Like that was probably my biggest moment of like, oh, this feels like I'm a phony and I'm a fraud just even being here. Uh, yeah. So I'd love to hear how that was for you. Yeah. When I, I just have a quick, like, when did you first come to Korea, Kara? And then has everyone else, have you all been to Korea before or have any plans to come to Korea or? Actually, I don't even know if I know that about you guys. Um, Kara, I actually didn't realize this, but I went to the same program you did. Oh. I did not know that. So I went to, I went through <laughs> the summer. We just have so many. Wow. We're just like same, right? Yeah. Um, I went the summer, the summer going into my senior year. So I was like on the other end of it. Um, same situation, wanted to study abroad saw that L had a, a Korean um, program and candidly was like, if not now, like when? Because I yeah. had been putting it off and was scared. So that was the first time. And I've been back two other times, after, two or three, two or three other times after that. What about you guys? I don't even think I know. That's horrible. I haven't been. We actually were planning on going spring of 2021 or 2020. But it yeah. ended up we ended up not going because a the pandemic and b I was pregnant, um, so we we didn't go. But I had really wanted to go, ideally before we had children, to you know kind of rip that bandaid off, go with just my husband and and have that experience. But now it's looking like you know we still want to go; it's still a priority. But it's looking like it'll be a family trip, um, which I'm excited about, and also adds a new layer of terror. I think for. <laughs> For like emotional processing of that experience. But yeah, I haven't been yet. Yeah, I also wanted to go before I had my baby. 
Just kidding. I'm, I have no news to announce. <laughs> I'm like, Betty, do you want to tell us no. something? No, I uh, kind of like you, Kira. I didn't really have any interest as a, as a kid from my Korean heritage until I was more later uh, in my years and now adulthood that it interested me. So I'm kind of a late bloomer, uh, so to speak, relatively on this call, I guess. But uh, yeah, kind of like Shanae, uh, I was definitely thinking about it more recently and then the pandemic hit. Um, but it is a goal. I need to fix, uh, I, need to, I have a, need to get a tooth fixed. Uh, I have a fracture in my tooth and I don't have good dental insurance right now. So hopefully too, that's not going to break my bank. So I've also have, I have a lot of financial dreams, but uh, one of them is definitely saving up a lot of money for some trips, including Korea. And Korea is definitely at the top of my list. Carrie, you need to let us know when the two-week quarantine finally lifts, since you're our voice on the ground, you're our boots <laughs> on the ground over there, because that's definitely, I think, what most people are waiting on is, you know, it, for most yeah. of us, you know, you wait the two weeks in quarantine and like, you got to come back. So when, yeah. as soon as that is lifted, I'm buying a plane ticket and we'll be eating lunch together. Mark my Ooh. words. <laughs> yeah, well, they... They did. Uh, it's now only ten days, but yeah, still. Uh, <laughs> that's still. That's like the whole damn vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess in regards to your initial question, Kara. So, like I said before, like you know, moving to Korea, it was. I knew it was going to be different than my like initial first time. Right, that was like through a structured program. You had other people, like you know. And like this time it was me, I came in the dead of winter, like end of November, beginning December and Korean winters can be rough. So, and I already hate winter. So I was like, great, I'm here alone in this country. It's freaking cold. I don't know anyone. I, my Korean at the time was like, I could read and maybe say like, or like just the very bare minimum. But I think those first, like, couple months for me in regards to, like, yes, when you come to Korea, you're like, wow, I, I really, I blend in. Like, when I go out, you know, I don't look like a foreigner, right? I People think I'm Korean. Um, they interact with me like I'm Korean. I don't really have to feel like, you know, an outsider. But in that sense, you, you do because <laughs> you know, like, yeah, they're going to interact with me as I'm a Korean person, but I can't really interact back. And then if I do, it's like they look at you strange and then or you have to say like, oh, like I don't speak Korean well. And then they're like, what the heck? Why? Like, aren't you Korean sort of thing? And then so honestly, for me, those first couple months, I was like petrified to like go out, like even to the grocery store because I was like, in Korea, they when you check out, like they ask you a thousand questions, like, "Oh, do you need a bag? Do you have a point card? Do you need like parking?" And I was at the time, I was like, "What are you asking me?" Or like, if you go to like the big marts, like E Mart or like Lotte Mart, they have all the like little old ladies who are like wanting to give you free samples. It's kind of like Costco, but they're kind of yelling at you to like buy their like tofu or buy their like sausage. And I'm like, <laughs> I was just so petrified that they would like, I don't know if it was just my anxiety that they would find out that, oh, I'm not Korean. Like, and then I would have to feel kind of like ashamed or that I didn't know, or like, obviously it's not my fault, but and I've met, you know, some adoptees who, you know, language for them, they live in Korea and, and language for them isn't really that important of a thing. Like maybe they've lived here for 10 plus years and and their Korean is still really, really basic. Right. Um, but for me personally, like that was like the hardest part, I think. And it still kind of is hard. Um, I did study some Korean here and my Korean has improved since those first initial months. But yeah, that's sort of like, I don't belong here. I, I look like I belong here, but I don't, I, I'm a foreigner, right? I <laughs> Inside I'm a foreigner. And, and then if I have to speak, they'll definitely like, 
they'll definitely find out sort of thing. But there is this kind of a weird, um, I guess, dichotomy. So it's like, oh, I want to blend in. But then I'm like, ah, like I'm blending in maybe too much. Like if I'm standing waiting for the bus or the subway and some random Korean comes up and they ask, they start speaking to me in Korean, like to ask me like, oh, does this subway go to this station? Or, oh, like what bus do I need to take to go here? And I'm just like, there are literally 20 other Korean, Korean people around me and you freaking come up to me, the one who's like, I'm dead. I'm just like, don't pick me. Yeah. I'm like, I want to blend, but I don't want to blend that much sort of thing. Like, (laughs) why do you have to choose me? I don't seem like I'm approachable. Like, uh, so yeah, the struggle is real. (laughs) Is Korea a country where like, I don't know. I know like sometimes if you go to certain European countries and if you try to speak the language and they pick up on the fact that you're not a native speaker or that you're American, they just like cut you cut you a pass and start speaking to you in English. Is is Korea mm. a country that that does that or do they really, you know, you had said they acknowledge the fact or at least make it known that they realize that you're not a native Korean speaker, but do they then just continue speaking to you in Korea or do they do like we do in America and speak louder and slower to you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hate that, by the way. <laughs> uh, I It's definitely different. So um, because, you know, I'm Korean, right? I look Korean. So if I'm with like another foreigner friend who is not Korean or not like Asian, like, <laughs> like if I'm with um, – like a white friend or something. And they can literally say just like, oh, and the Korean person is like, oh my gosh, wow. Like they're like, <laughs> right, right. It's like they did like a whole dissertation in Korean about the like, I don't know. And then I say, you know, something basic. And it's just like, I maybe make one tiny mistake. And then they're just like, what the heck? Like, why? <laughs> so it's, I think, you know, Koreans are really excited when, you know, foreigners, you know, at least try to speak Korean. But if you're a foreigner who looks like they're Korean and then you <laughs> you sound even the slightest bit strange, it's kind of just like, what the heck? Like, so, yeah, I think in the past when I would say like, oh, I can't speak Korean, I would say it like in Korean and then if they would kind of be like why I would you know explain like I would just say oh I was adopted sort of thing and honestly most Korean reactions um it's always just like I'm sorry and I'm like oh you don't have to be sorry it's like it's fine sort of thing like what are you sorry about (laughs) but yeah the language they're excited if you try but if if you're foreign looking (laughs) I think it's it's definitely better Yeah, I struggle with that last on my last trip there, too, is like every time I went, I would cram for like my vocab, you know, and get my phrases in. But then it caused more tension for me. And even like that's like my one go to phrase. And like, and Kara, you can tell me if like the pronunciation is horrible, but it's like, like, I can't like I can't the Korean language. I cannot. Yeah. And it's like saying it in Korean made them even more confused. And then it's like that was my only like catchphrase. And then they would keep speaking to me in Korean. I was like, oh, God, yeah. like that sent the wrong signal. So then the last time I went over there, and of course, I went through like my identity crisis like prior to getting to Korea. But then I was like, you know what? I'm not doing any of that. I'm not annyeonghaseyoing anyone. I'm not kansamnidaing anyone. I am just going to be like, hi, hello. Because I'm going to send the signal yeah. right away. So I don't have to, like, I just, I resonate so much with what you said, Kara, of like, I want to blend in, but I don't want to blend in. Yeah. Like I want to physically pass because it's something deep in me and the validation that I've been waiting for. But then as soon as I do pass, I'm like up shit's creek without a a paddle. I was like, 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 oh "Oh, no. It's like, I wasn't expecting that to work so well. And now I'm like, oh yeah, actually. And for me, it made me feel worse almost. Like I was. I felt better when I look back on my trips. I felt better, quote unquote, about myself 
the trip that I just spoke English. I didn't try to use my phrases. Then the times that I would go over there and candidly just get into like an identity swirl, you know, of just like, man, like to your point, I didn't like going to the stores and I didn't want to bump into people. And it's like, why the hell am I here if I'm just going to like cram myself inside because I'm scared to go out? Yeah. I mean, I did like intensive language program. Oh my God. It's been over a year now. So I did like two semesters of like really intense language study. Um, and that gave me a lot more confidence in regards to my language and language ability. And so I, I do feel more comfortable just speaking Korean, but I I think it is like, yeah, sometimes I'd rather just be like, uh, just use English right away. Cause then they know, um, like, even when I went back to America for this past September, it was just nice to like go to the bank and not have to mentally prepare. Right. Yeah. I can, I can barely go to the bank in English, let alone in <laughs> Korean, <laughs> but I was like, okay, at least I can, you know, have this interaction in English and not have to like, like focus on what they're saying, like, and, you know, then construct my response. and. So I think language is, yeah, for all adoptees and is, can be really a struggle, right? <laughs> it's and like cause... my biggest insecurity. I'm like one of those people like, don't talk to me about the language piece. It's like the thing that just sends me, sends me there. So I have a, an interesting question for the group on imposter syndrome. One is I would definitely love for us to go around, like just talk about how imposter syndrome shows up for all of us in our lives. But I'm going to throw it out there and I want to start with Benny. Do you feel more like an imposter in white spaces or Korean spaces? Definitely, definitely white, um, because that probably dominates 99% of my interactions in daily life. And I think that shows up like almost daily. Like when I think about waking up and going to work and interacting with my coworkers or my supervisors or the clients or partners that we work with, I think every day, Kira, you mentioned having to kind of gear yourself up to go to the bank or the grocery store in Korea. I feel like that the opposite way when I'm gearing that up for work in America. It's just really takes extra time to like mentally turn off yourself as a Korean adoptee and put on a facade that you are going to try really hard to fit in as much as possible. One, to try to fit in, don't rock the boat for me personally, but two, also try to be more relatable. One thing we are doing, um, thankfully in our organization is going through and doing some diversity and some inclusion things. And one of my first weeks at uh, the job, we started out with doing um, unconscious bias. And some of the things that you talk about is how, like, I don't know, like 95% of American CEOs are tall white males that are over six foot or something like that. And it's like, mm, that is definitely not me. And so, uh, you know, it just shows up with your confidence too. It's like, you want to be perfect. You need, you only get one shot to impress or showcase your worth and value every day in every interaction. And otherwise you feel like you failed or you're not doing enough to showcase that you're relatable. And I think it's just a big thing personally for my career, but also when you think about going on dates or uh, even going to the dentist, I mentioned my tooth earlier. The first thing my dent my new dentist wanted to know was like, what's your story? And tell me about your whole thing. And it's like, oh, oh here God. we go. And it's like, I don't want to continue to try to fit in when I know they're going to ask me all these questions anyway. So I think the, the short answer, I think it shows up daily in my life and definitely is something that I consciously put an effort to be buttoned up and try to be correct, try to be proven my value and worth in every situation. Oh, by the way, when I say gym, I, I meant to say that's the only place I do feel comfortable. But oh. <laughs> usually I'm plugged in with my headphones, listening to some hard metal or, or rap. And I'm like probably dancing and moving around. And I really don't care because I feel like really comfortable there. And it's really weird because that's the only really time where I feel free and like 
like rejuvenated and not feel exhausted. So I told myself, and it's kind of like a defense mechanism when you really step back from your daily routine of how much, you know, I have to do personally to be in a space to remain confident and not always second guess myself or over prepare for meetings or over prepare for every interaction because of that, just trying to fit in a space that is, does not look like me to try to fit into space where I know people are going to be more apt to like certain preferences that I cannot deliver and trying to go out of my way to look and act and present myself in a way that's, to be quite honest, white facing. Shanae, what about you? More of an imposter in white spaces or Korean spaces? Oh, hands down Korean spaces. Um, (laughs) I mean, I feel like I, I, so back to the language piece and thinking about going to the bank, right? Like they're generally, I don't necessarily feel like I am an imposter in white spaces. And then, you know, there are those moments, right, where people are like, oh, you speak English so well. And you're like, the fuck? But, (laughs) um, you know, so you get that on the other end too. But I think definitely in Korean spaces, you know, I remember being in college in walking through like the student union as a freshman and there were like the Asian sororities and, and I was like, you know, this is my chance. I can do it. And then I, you know, maybe got 10 feet from the table and it was like abort, abort. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't do this. And, you know, so that still definitely, um, is a thing. And, you know, now we're trying to raise Clara with some Korean and I'm like reading these kids books and trying to pronounce things and like trying to, there's like the, the Nabia Nabia like nursery rhyme or songs like butterfly butterfly and i'm like listening to the tape and trying to sing it back to her and i'm like this is probably like all kinds of wrong like you're gonna you know confidently go to some like korean immersion preschool singing this and your pronunciation is going to be terrible but yeah definitely korean spaces however i would say of the three options i feel the most like an imposter in neither homogenous white or Korean spaces, but in spaces with people of color. I feel like the biggest imposter is a person of color. Interesting. Anything. And it's because a lot of like what we talked about in our whiteness episode that I feel like I haven't, you know, I've been afforded the privileges of whiteness and been protected by whiteness. And I feel like Korean, I feel like I'm an imposter because I look like you. I don't speak the language. I don't know the customs. But, like, I can justify that sort of from the adoptee upbringing. But then in spaces with people of color, like, I don't – I have a very hard time – I shouldn't say have a hard time, but I feel very nervous sometimes if I have to identify myself as a person of color to another person of color or a group of people because I feel like I haven't shared a lot of the same experiences or maybe struggles or, like, systemic – racism um that other people have so that's the toughest one for me wow that's interesting Kara did you feel in regards to your identity did you feel more imposter syndrome in America or do you feel it more now that you're in Korea um I think there was a definite shift so I guess since being in Korea and and then going back to America like the first time I went back was I had just been in Korea for about a year and I went back to the States for just a week. <laughs> um, oh my God. Yeah. Long it was trip. <laughs> short, short. Uh, yeah. But I just remember, and I, I spent most of my time in Louisville and I remember thinking like everything just seemed different. Just I, the only Asian person I saw was when I looked in the mirror, <laughs> like legitimately. <laughs> That's the title I, of, our, of our memoir. <laughs> the only Asian person I see is in the mirror. <laughs> it's just like, I didn't even recognize that the spaces that I went to, like the restaurants, the cafes, um, even all of my friends, right? They're all like white or black or not Asian. And so I was just like, there were really no Asian people that I like hung around or went to spaces 
that had them. So it was a definite shift that I recognized, you know, after being, after living in Korea. And even the second time when I went back, it was for a month. And, and so I kind of had to, I guess, recognize how I've changed um, in the way that I think about who I am and, and also um, recognize, you know, the, the surroundings that I'm in. Cause even now I, I do work with an all Korean staff, but you know, three fifths of us are, you know, adoptees. So we're foreign in that sense, but at least, you know, I'm looking out into a sea of Asian now. Right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I, I would still say that I uh, definitely feel a, an imposter in, in Korean settings. Even when I, when I was studying language in my class. So I, I think in both of my classes, I was the only like Korean person, right? You had Europeans, you had um, Japanese people, people from Hong Kong or Singapore, things like that. And I already put a pressure on myself, right? To be, you know, to be high achieving and to be perfect. And that's been my whole life. And so when I enter this language class and you see, you know, this girl from France, she can speak like perfect Korean. I'm like, what the heck? Why are you in level two? Like, <laughs> she's like, oh, my like writing is bad. But I'm like, you sound like a Korean person. And you're like this fair skinned blonde hair, like woman. And she's dating this Korean guy. They always speak Korean. And I'm just like, okay, I can barely like speak. I'm so scared that, yeah. I don't know that because I'm Korean and then I can't sound like this, like French person or this person from Morocco that, you know, they're going to find out <laughs> like something's, something's not quite, quite right. Or yeah. So it's kind of this, uh, always impending <laughs> fear in the back of my head, I guess. That's interesting. Some of those responses I was not expecting. And I guess there's another quick another quick tangent on an imposter syndrome. Shanae kind of got us into the topic. Where does anybody want to share like how and where imposter syndrome shows up? I mean, we just kind of talked about obviously between white and Korean spaces as CADs, but do you feel like it's bled into any other areas of your life or in any other ways? Like everything. <laughs> I mean, I think like- but but I and I don't know. I don't know if it's because there's sort of this pervasive, you know, between the white and Korean that, you know, we all sort of have grown up in. But I feel like, you know, professionally and socially and even, you know, now like in motherhood, I I find myself personally very much falling into the trap of like, but if I don't have the experience listed on my resume or like in resume form to back it up, like I don't feel confident. Like Kara, we were talking about con, which we can talk about later at the very end. Um, And I got such cold feet. Like you saw me, I was spiraling. I was like, but wait, like, are we even qualified? Do we even have anything? And you're like, yes, yes. Like your lived experiences, what we're doing. And then I was like, oh, okay. And I could reframe, but I so quickly go into that space of like, you know, oh, well, somebody else is already doing it. Somebody's more qualified. Somebody can do it better. Who would want to listen to me? And that's like pretty much on a day-to-day minute to minute basis. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the only one, but it shows up everywhere. I think also like because of the work that I do, I sometimes feel like an imposter as an adoptee. Like <laughs> with the whole community, I'm just like there's so many other adoptees who are like well versed in laws or history or you know mm. what's going on with activism and all of that. And I'm just kind of sitting here like, hmm, you know, I, I work full time to help adoptees and like my organization, you know, we have a lot of experience working in Korea and working with adoptees, but I'm just like, I don't know a lot about adopt be like the adoptee community or like what's really going on I think even in the kind of questionnaire you all sent before this and it was asking about like um 
adoptee-related media you're consuming or things you want to share with the adoptee community about adoption. And I was just like, hmm, well, I don't really, outside of my like job, I'm not really actively involved with the adoptee community. So sometimes I'm just like, am I qualified to be helping adoptees when I'm not even like up to date on, you know, certain, certain laws or certain like things going on um, in like the activist community or (laughs) so I'm just like, "Hmm. (laughs) am I an adoptee? I don't know. (laughs) I'm fake adoptee. (laughs) I, I certainly, I was actually like surprised when you said that. And I was like, do I feel that way? And I certainly felt that way coming onto the show for that same reason. I was like, you know, Shanae and Benny, you guys want me to join the show? I'm like, yeah, I, I sure blabber my mouth a lot on Instagram about my lived experience as an adoptee, but I sure as hell don't keep up with policy and laws and candidly even some of the history, you know, and that that's an interesting lens as well to think about feeling like a fraud, even within our own specific slice, you know, because we talk a lot about how like you can identify as Korean, you can identify as Korean American, but like really like the most accurate one is Korean American adoptee because it encompasses the whole situation, right? So you would think that even within that narrow scope of a definition that we would feel at least the weight of imposter syndrome come off, but it's like, oh no, it's like that. What is it? What's the thing on TikTok? The bing bong. Like, no, it's, it's always there no matter where you go. And I was even jotting it down, you know, prior to tonight of like, where, where are the times I feel like an imposter? And today, just like you said, like, it's pretty much all day, every day. And, um, here's, here's what I wrote. This is the, this is the, this is where I get a little depressed here. The first one was like literally in life. Like, I feel like an imposter in life as an adoptee, like Korean American stuff aside, because I feel it's that like adoption narrative, right? Like I escaped my fate by adoption. Adoption gave me my second chance at life and I escaped, you know, whatever fate would have been otherwise. So that in and of itself, like sets me up to feel like an imposter. Like, am I even supposed to be here? Like, was I supposed to happen? That is like the root of my imposter syndrome. And then it does, it just kind of bleeds into every other space that I'm in, especially with work. Like you said, Benny, like I even had an incident at one of my jobs where like somebody made the joke with me like, oh, ha ha, like, well, you would never get fired because, you know. And I was like, no, like, I don't know. And like, you know, they're implying like, oh, you're the diversity hire. You can't get fired because like that would be a lawsuit. And it's just like, that was kind of my first moment. This is like well into my career. This is a, this is, I had that moment of like, do people think I'm here as a diversity hire? And then it was like, am I a diversity hire? And then it just like the imposter syndrome in all the things that I've done started to like swirl in my head there. And then I did write down here as a Korean American and Shanae, it's a little bit kind of like what you were saying about as a person of color is that sometimes when I'm in other um, Asian American spaces, I feel like my voice doesn't matter because of the immigrant parent thing. Like having immigrant parents is like the biggest connector of like first gen American, Asian Americans and all the jokes, the tiger mom, the having Asian parents thing. Like that's like the joke, right? And it's like, even when I'm in this like Asian American space where I think a lot of Korean adoptees end up landing as their like core identity, I feel like I can't participate. I definitely feel like an imposter in in that space. And I, yeah, I feel it around my white in the white spaces and I feel in the Korean spaces. And I, I honestly don't know which one is worse. Like I think I've gotten probably used to feeling like the imposter in the white space. So I'm a little bit more comfortable with that. But sometimes when I feel like an imposter in Korea and Korean spaces, like it feels worse, I would say. So if I had to choose my level of imposter syndrome, it's probably among white folks more than it is around Korean. Like even this weekend, um, my boyfriend is having a friend from his exchange or from his study abroad program who's Korean. And my head's been swirling all week. I don't have a Korean person in my house. They're going to, they're going to judge the sauces I have in my refrigerator. He's going to try to speak to me. He's going to, he's going to see if I'm taking my shoes off. 
Uh, he's going to see like, I'm going to see like how he treats me since I'm older than him. Like all these thoughts start going through my head. I'm like, wow, like I can't even invite somebody into my home of Korean descent without my imposter syndrome flaring up so bad that I've been obsessing about it all week. Kara, I'm glad you mentioned your career again, because another thing that's um, been maybe not unique to me, but um, something that's been on my mind is imposter syndrome connected to um, the model minority myth, at least for my career, especially in business. Um, And so, for example, I think there's just a lot of pressure to uphold that when you get hired, it's like, great, there's a Chinese person here. He's going to be really smart and know all the answers. And everything's going to be really buttoned up and he's going to do all these results. And it's like, I feel that pressure because even though people don't realize it, there's a lot of microaggressions and a lot of unbiased consciousness that I can see because I think we've all lived and known it for our entire lives that they know, I know that that's what the expectations are. There was one time at my job, like I was going into meetings with clients and, you know, they, they went okay. But I got pulled aside and um, from my supervisor, it's like, just relax. Like, we hired you for a reason. We all know you're really good at your job. And just be confident in your space. And like, don't feel like you need to overprepare. And I just wanted to say to this person, it's like, you don't even realize what I need to do to be in this space. And what I need to do to actually be accepted. And the moment I get, the moment I do one thing wrong, I know what the outcome will be. And that facade goes away. It's like, well, I thought we were hiring this person, you know, the model minority, so to speak. And I think that's where I feel the most challenge is trying to uphold that facade because then I feel like I need to be perfect. And when I want to go home and put on a t-shirt and black jeans and let my tattoos hang out, I think that's where I feel the most comfortable. But the the challenge is there to being double dinged is going outside for a walk and having people think that basically I'm going to hurt them or steal from them because I look like someone who I feel comfortable with. And that's not someone who's dressed up in a suit and tie. And I think that's where that dynamic is, is really having no home as a Korean adoptee. That's been a theme over the last couple of seasons. It's like, where do you really fit in? Where do you feel the most comfortable? And I think that's where, you know, just for everyone else that's listening, I think everyone has those experiences and, you know, always trying to work to own that space and be confident in that. And I'm hoping, you know, our stories can help educate other people that are non-Korean adoptees, just realize all the unconscious bias and the microaggressions that go on every day. And that we hear people say, here's the solution, do this or that. My response to that is like, you don't even know. You don't know what it takes to fit into this white American culture. Yeah, that is a really great point about the model minority myth, Benny. I don't really think about it through that lens, but you're right. It's a lot of pressure because in a lot of ways, Asian Asian Americans have benefited from the model minority myth. We know that it's harmful, right? But we also know that it's benefited us. So when you are the person that's potentially going to fuck that up, you're like, oh, like I don't want to be the person that like is the Asian that's not good at math because then like the hoax is up. Right. And then I ruin it for the rest of us. And I I've never thought about how maybe subconsciously I've been trying to fulfill the model minority myth for the sake of the benefits that it has for Asian Americans. So that is a, now I'm going to go like sit and, and stew on that for a bit. So thanks for that, that uh, head spin from there. Uh, we're, we're reading Shin right at the hour. So I think, you know, Benny, I love what you said just to wrap it up. And I think one little parting corny thing I'll say is that the thing about imposter syndrome is that it's a syndrome, right? Like it's not that you are a imposter. So I think maybe that's some of my words of wisdom to those who are maybe struggling with imposter syndrome out there, whether it's culturally or in the workplace or among your friends or even within your family is to remember that it is a syndrome And there are ways and times and spaces, I think, that you can take a step back to understand. And I think even what we're doing here now, you know, I think we get that gets lost sometimes of like us sharing our story and having a collective voice as Korean adoptees helps to break down that imposter syndrome because we do have a place to belong. Um, And that's among one another. I know that we said that sometimes we even feel it within our own community, but maybe that's what we need to start doing as Korean American adoptees is like coming together and trying to rid 
this pressure um, so we can at least come together as a community um, within ourselves and not have that imposter syndrome. So maybe that's the collective goal, right? How do we get to a place of alleviated imposter syndrome? Okay, I love that you said that it's a syndrome and it's not fact, right? And I think too, sometimes we get so wrapped up in putting pressure on ourselves to fit into one box and we forget that identity is fluid and it's always changing and that, you know, I wonder in sort of alleviating some of that pressure, if we really can either ourselves remember or surround ourselves with people to remind us that, you know, you don't have to put all of your identity eggs into one basket. It's okay if you don't feel 100% Korean American or Korean adoptee or, or Korean or white or whatever it is. I think even with people that grow up in, homogenous, identity-affirming spaces, I think we'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that feels 100% not like an imposter and feels 100% secure all the time in every space that they enter. So I think that cutting ourselves a little bit of slack and having some grace goes a long way. Love it. Yeah. Well, Kara, as we round out the hour here, we thought we'd do like a fun little um, would-you-rather America or Korea edition, um, as as some of your parting thoughts here. So I'll I'll give you some things and tell us if you would would you rather do it in America or in Korea, and then you guys pile on. So the first one that we'll start with is Seven Eleven. Yeah, definitely Korea. I feel like <laughs> if I go to one in America, I might get harmed. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever been to a Seven Eleven in America. That's yeah. <laughs> what about nightlife? Yeah, I would still have to stick with uh, with Korea on that one. Uh, She's a Korean girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what about shopping? It's kind of hard because in Korea, like I'm, I'm kind of short. But everything, you know, especially pants or like long dresses, it, it like is tailored to me. But I, I still find myself shopping at mainly like Western stores. Or if I, so I go maybe back, one for America? Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but if I'm buying, like, yeah, I was yeah, America. I think. All right. Um, what about work life and like work life culture? Oh God, America. <laughs> yeah, the, the Korean work. Um, right now, I uh, since it's kind, it's in Korea, but it's kind of like you know a foreign niche workplace environment. Um, I'm kind of scared to you know make the transition back into a Korean style work environment, which is what I initially started as, as an English teacher. And it was, it was awful. <laughs> I That's have like all I ever hear trauma, trauma Tra- from that time. <laughs> Emotional trauma. I love it. And then what about food? Just general. Um, would you rather eat in America? Or would you rather eat in Korea? I think Korea, when I went back to the States, I was like, I forgot how salty everything is. And mm. my my mouth literally just had sores in it, I think, from all the salt content. I was yeah. like, why is this happening? And I'm like, oh, because I'm basically, yeah, everything was so, so salty. So I would stick with Korea for now. <laughs> and then what about TV shows? American. Yeah, I'm, I'm one for the sitcoms. So I stick with American TV. <laughs> Nice. Perfect. Well, I think that's all we've got for um, today. I know we've got a couple of fun announcements. Am I allowed to do this? Yes, we are. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) Um, So Shanae, Benny, and I will officially be going to CON, which is a Korean American conference, which is happening in Denver, June 24th, through 26, 2022. Um, we will be hosting a special uh, session there. We talk about finding your voice and your identity and your community. So if it's within your means, please check it out. Uh, I believe registration should be open by the time this is airing. So make sure that you guys register if you're interested and able to come out. We would love to meet some of you guys in real life. They will have a 
um, COVID procedures is sure, but I, I'm very much looking forward to not just connecting with more people, but meeting some of our listeners in real life um, behind a mask. So um, make sure you t- look out for more announcements and details on Khan here coming up. And if you want to keep up with Kara on Instagram, her handle is Rizzle Kara. And if you want to learn more about Goal on Instagram, their handle is Goal Korea. And on Facebook, it is at goal.kr. And of course, don't forget to keep up with us on Instagram at Soul Conversations and on our website at soulconversationspodcast.com. And Kara, thank you again so much for joining us um, from the future and from the motherland. If any of your listeners are interested in moving to Korea or have any questions about like living in Korea, like definitely feel free to reach out to me personally, or you can reach out to Goal as an organization. And it can be scary to one move to a different country in general, but coming to Korea, it has a lot more weight to it than you know if we are to go to like Europe or something. But coming from someone who basically went from zero interest to rocketing into Korea and the adoptee community space, I'm still trying to figure things out myself as to, you know, where I belong and who I am. But if you have any questions about living in Korea, I can help as best as I can. I just love that we've got boots on the ground over there and a real sense of community and just a community that we can go to over there. So please check out more information on Goal if you guys are interested as well. And until next time, 